The content of this episode is a product of the NATO Command and Control Center of Excellence. The views and ideas presented do not necessarily represent the opinions or policies of NATO and is only reflective of the independent perspective of the NATO Command and Control Center of Excellence. The content presented is not classified and therefore is releasable via open source means. Federated mission networking is an activity. It's trying to achieve together for the better. And again, it gets back to this original point. It's, it's about the people. It's about the processes. It's not just the technology aspect. The Federated Mission Networking Initiative, or more commonly known as FMN, represents the collaborative work of 34 nations and the NATO command structure to not only create a common C4 ISR standard, but shared practices and procedures. In the future, when effectively fighting our adversaries may come down to being able to read off the same sheet of music and and being day zero interoperable, the need for FMN may never be more vital. Joining us today to talk more about FMN is Lieutenant Colonel Frank Hubels, a member of the NATO C2CUE since 2013 and the center's resident FMN expert. Frank, welcome. Thank you, Adrian. It's very nice to have you here in these times. Um, before we jump into FMN, mm-hmm. I guess I just want to get more of a background on your career prior to getting here in 2013. What kind of things were you involved with? What really is your specialty? Just paint a brief picture of Lieutenant Colonel Hubels before this. Yeah, it's very difficult to share <laughs> that if you have my age. <laughs> Uh, I've been in the in our service more than 40, 40 years now. Okay. So, as everyone starting in uh, junior positions, mm-hmm. often been involved in transportation, logistics, log- logistics. Uh, afterwards, you become a little bit older. Um, you get involved in peacekeeping operations. Uh, I did a lot in material command, in mm-hmm. material uh, requirements, and then. Uh, in the end, I came involved in SAP, which is a software program. Right. So I got to know something about business architecture. I was rather uh, long involved in that one. Went to Afghanistan. After returning from Afghanistan, I was involved in business processes for one year. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was happy to come here, I, I, which I thought would be the end of my career. But <laughs> I extended and extended and extended because I thought this was a very interesting job, also related to pension. Yeah. But I think I'm happy here and uh, getting to know a lot of new ideas. And one of the new ideas for me, at least, was federated mission networking, which is more, as you said, than C4 ISR. Yes. Because they officially uh, advertise it as command and control right. and decision-making, right. which is stated in the, in the mission for FMN. But I think that's a bit, little bit weird because we at the Center of Excellence think that decision-making is an integral part of command and control. So you should never separate decision-making from command and control. And so, I mean, already, you're bringing up a really good point. And mm-hmm. that's, I think a lot of it has to do with, before really jumping into FMN, what it is, mm-hmm. is definition surrounding um, the taxonomy of FMN and C2 in general. Mm-hmm. There is, for a lot of the audience, a distinction between the way the national level CC2 and the way NATO CC2. As it stands right now for the C2 COE, the C2 
subject matter expert. What really is that formal definition? Um, we, we ourselves don't use our formal definition okay. on, on C2 because we think that all the current definitions all have something worthwhile mentioning with regard to uh, mm -hmm. elements of C2, but don't, don't cover it all. And uh, one of the things is as soon as you uh, start defining a term, mm -hmm. you exclude things. Right. So there are many definitions outside there, but we don't have uh, the feeling at the moment that there's a need for an additional one on behalf of the Command and Control Center of Excellence. So very much what you're saying is it's still evolving. It's, it, it's evolving, and, and, and uh, I think it's also a cultural element in it because what we really think that C2 is about a human activity, so it's also about the humans. So it's not just about technology. It's not just about tooling. It's not right. just about processes. It's about people who organize themselves and organize especially warfare. And that right there, I think for people at the national level, might be difficult to get their, head, their heads wrapped around because for most people, C2 is, a, is simply CIS. It's simply the technology, the enablers to exhort that, to exert that command authority. Mm -hmm. Now, getting back to the original reason why, why you're here is you're one of the few people who have actually made a uh, clear definition, or at least who've made the, uh, the distinction between Federation, Federated Mission Networking, mm -hmm. which, which, which is what it actually is, and the Federated Mission Network. Can you briefly talk about why it's important to, to insert that ING, what changes the entire initiative? Yeah, and, and there might be another thing to it because you spoke about terms, you spoke about definitions. Mm -hmm. One of the things which didn't help FMN mm -hmm. is that the abbreviation itself was changed during its course. Right. So it started as a future mission network. So it was something far away. Then it became a federate mission network. So federated, that it means together, collectively. Right. And then they found out it's not about technology. It's not about uh, new radios. It's about working together because that is the main thing. That's the thing we want to achieve with Everman, that all different actors in uh, a mission, right. be they a military, be they a civilian, that they can work together as one. And that's why it's, and that's a human activity because it's need, uh, you need a will, an intent to work together. And that I think is the, the main uh, uh, profit from federated mission networking. All the efforts we're doing are just about expressing that we want together, we want to achieve together a common goal. So it's very active in, and, and I'm not a native speaker. You can right, hear right. that, uh, you can tell that I'm really <laughs> Dutch. Federated mission networking is an activity. It's trying to achieve together for the better. And again, it gets back to his original point. It's, yeah. it's about the people. It's about the processes. It's not just the technology aspect. Yeah. Maybe you can elaborate more on this. Um, FMN, as you say, yeah. has gone through many different names. It's, yeah. it's gone through an evolution from through all of this. But I mean, mm -hmm. really what it comes back to is getting back to ISAF's effort mm -hmm. and the creation of the Afghan Mission Network. I think in retrospect, a lot of people mm -hmm. see it more as a, a CIS effort. 
is is that what you see it as or no, no, what no, is the CEO we found but, out but but, but but the thing is uh, there were networks in Afghanistan mm -hmm. but there was an urgency to have those uh, the information contained in those networks it stayed within those containers they were national containers mm -hmm. they were service containers and led to a lot of people not being aware of uh, actors in the uh, in the field it led to casualties it led to people who had the uh, capabilities which were not employed sufficiently uh, people were dying because helicopters could not be reached and they were available ambulances were not were not able to pick up uh, casualties and it was a, a coalition but it was a coalition of people who were incapable to communicate with each other and use uh, all the available means for the best effects of the mission so then they started that this situation should change. But you not only have to change equipment, you also have to change procedures, and you have to also raise awareness, situational awareness, situational understanding within the whole force. And the whole force was composed of many, many, many nations. As our experience with being part of the NATO training mission in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. see sticker and the American abbreviation, we were about 39 nations. And they were from everywhere with all kinds of uh, most modern uh, equipment, but also with very basic equipment, with uh, some people with very high value uh, training and others not trained at all and had to be trained in uh, theater. So that there was an urgency because people were dying because we were not able to cooperate, mm, not uh, able to sh uh, share information. And maybe even there was no willingness to share because that's another element. And Back then, going back to 2008, 2009, yeah. General McChrystal himself mm -hmm. diagnosed the issue as changing from this environment of need to know to a need to share. Mm -hmm. And you specifically talk about your own experience there. Did you, did you have much um, working within AMN or did, is that something that you no, missed? No, that, that, that was outside uh, because all the equipment at the NATO training mission was mm -hmm. provided by the United States. Okay. But also then you experience that as a non-American, mm -hmm. you have to get used to American procedures. Right. And also you have to take exams, which I was not used to. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise I would not get access to the network. Uh, it was not able to switch from one network to another one. If there was a, a specific network, I had to call my American colleagues right. that they were allowed to pick up information from that network. And that was very small because right. we were just a training mission and that was not really going outside except from uh, having our convoys towards uh, training institutions. But you could sense something about sharing information that uh, were quite some difficult. Except from the uh, uh, cultural aspect, which is always there. Right. And so, I mean, AMN tried to rectify a lot of the issues mm -hmm. with sharing the American Centrix ISAF version, mm -hmm. the British overtask system, the Canadian, I believe it was DCSS or LCSS. Forgive me if I butchered that one. But, but they were just one of the few players what? because there were many players in theater and also the United Nations. Uh, there were a lot of non-governmental organizations who were, who were operating in the same area. Right, and it seems like that effort was born out of a a requirement generated by certain nations to be able to share and disseminate information to get to get past some of the issues that you talked about. Mm -hmm. 
And the biggest dividing line or the biggest dividing or the, the thing that sets FMN apart is who's actually leading this effort. Um, can you talk to more about like who's actually the, the figurehead for this or is there one? I, I think you're addressing a, a quite sensitive uh, <laughs> topic because it's all about national ambitions. Right. As we know, within the AMN, there right. was one nation, your nation, mm -hmm. the United States, which provided quite some equipment on which people, of course, had to get trained. But there was also a lot of uh, uh, negotiation between each other, which right. procedures to use. But they, they got out of it. There was a kind of uh, validation of uh, quality and so on. In the end, it was a collective, a federated effort. But it always needs somebody who takes the initiative. And within uh, FMN, the initiative, of course, is taken that all the uh, results, the, the positive results of the AMN uh, network had to be preserved for future operations. And also NATO found out that also in interoperability within NATO, mm -hmm. there might be quite some room for improvement, especially working together with non-NATO entities. So uh, within the FMN, they copied, kind of copied the structure which was existing in AMN or still exists in AMN, which is continued now in the Resolute Support Mission. So there are some uh, um, organizations in the lead, but there are no nations in the lead. Even NATO is not in the lead. There is a FMN uh, secretariat and a lot of working groups, but they're all based on voluntary, um, most of them are based on voluntary contributions. So it's up to the nations, the affiliates, the nations which want to build up the FMN construct to contribute and to contribute uh, as much as they can or are willing to do. So all of them have to be uh, convinced of the uh, benefits of a federation. So, I mean, and so right now, what you described, it seems like, and please correct me if I'm wrong, this effort is an effort of the willing, but that's almost by design. It's taking the lessons learned of AMN and expanding them into something where it's not championed by just one, because so that it shouldn't become just one nation's product so that they can also work with its like you said, yeah. again, an effort of the willing. And, and, and that's also why there's, it, there's not a focus just on products. The right. products are uh, collective processes, are common standards, and uh, nations agree together on those standards. Right. But they can have all their uh, national ambitions, whether or not they apply those uh, standards. And so... You, brought, you bring up a really interesting point as uh, somebody who's been a part of mm -hmm. the FMN effort for a bit of time now. Um, can you actually talk about your role within FMN, kind of how you fit in as a member of a, C2, of a COE in general, mm -hmm. contributing to the FMN effort? Because I think some people understand possibly how members of the OC working group or the CIC working group, how they fit in, but COEs have a unique place. Can you kind of talk about what yeah, your role is um, and what the role of COEs are. The nice thing is that with FMN, it is operators-driven. Right. And uh, operators-driven means not technicians-driven, mm -hmm. because you mentioned some of the working groups. Some of the working groups are dealing with technical requirements, 
Others are dealing with security. Others ones are dealing with, uh, did we get the product we wanted? So it's about our quality assurance mm -hmm. and uh, our validations and so on. But everything starts with an operator, which needs to be helped in this case. So uh, what we were very interested in, because we think that command and control, as I stated before, is a human activity. Right. So it should help the warfighter. So what we are, are trying to do is to contribute to, and what does it mean to lead uh, formation, what, which kind of information has to be passed between all those nations which contribute as a so-called affiliate towards the federated mission network. So what we have to differentiate within uh, FMN is you still will have your own national networks, mm -hmm. but all those networks will share information which is needed for the whole. So that in the end, our, uh, our commander, whatever nationality, or our staff officer, whichever nationality, or uh, a unit, whichever nationality, can use that information to be uh, secure and uh, to do its activities. So it can be fed by information which is gathered by all. And that uh, I think that that's one of the uh, critical things within FMN. It's about sharing, sharing information, but it's sharing across the network. Right. So it's not just about your national network. And this gets a lot to this, uh, this interoperability, mm -hmm. but uh, a big gold star objective that I think all, if not most, mm -hmm. um, affiliates are shooting for is day zero interoperability yeah. for this future conflict. Are we, as an FMN community, getting closer to that? Is that something that is within sight? I think it goes step by step. Okay. Uh, what, what I said, you asked for our involvement. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what we have seen is that processes are developing step by step, the so-called spirals, which enable uh, the passage of information. And it's... It starts with a small ambition that, that you just can be able to talk to each other. It can be a small ambition that you just can pass information mm -hmm. which you formerly would have on a PowerPoint, now can have uh, visibly shown on a map right. within each, each HQ at which level there is. But it's step by step. And so you bring up actually a very yeah. good concept within, yeah. a, within FMN is the spiral approach, yeah. which is unique to FMN. If you've been involved with FMN, mm -hmm. you're going to hear about spirals mm -hmm. within the first mm -hmm. hour of learning about it. Can you briefly just talk about what that spiral approach is? I know you briefly touched mm -hmm. on it, but what are the advantages of working in this method as opposed to just saying, this is everything that we want to do, break, and let's go do it? Yeah, the, one of the principles within FMN is that no affiliate should be left behind. Right. So we start with a rather low level of ambition, and even that might be techn uh, technology-wise, but also for investments for the nations, mm -hmm. might be quite some step. So we start with passing basic information right. based on the requirements of the operational uh, commanders, and that grows during the process. Uh, and in the spiral, it's about... Uh, First, having the operational requirements, right. then uh, defining technical requirements. Then we have to be aware that the nations uh, have to define which part of those 
requirements they will fulfill. Mm-hmm. Then they have to build it. Then it has to be tested nationally, then tested by all of them, because you want to really be sure that the network of nation A can connect to the network of nation B, but also to C, whichever is on the same standard. And then in the end, you can use it in a real operation and find out whether or not you're ready. And you will keep the whole standard within all those affiliates. Right. So if there's a day zero call for that mission, you will be all on the same standard and you all will know which information you're able to share. So the expectations from each other, how you will work in the collective network mm-hmm. are clear. So also the commander who's, who has to uh, collect all the information, but also has to pass the information to all the nations or all the national contributions is aware of what he's able to do and what he's able not to do. On the other hand, because the spirals overlap each other, it's quite an issue for people involved in designing the operational requirements, also the technical requirements, also for the nations to build right. because the, the, you're, building, uh, you're uh, defining the requirements for one, mm-hmm. you're building the requirements for another, and you're fielding already uh, another one. And the thing is, it should be a gradual build-up of capabilities. Right. And you always have to be convinced that the previous step was okay and that all nations are able to fulfill their commitment. And so now FMN has established enough that Spiral One it is being met by affiliates, correct? Yep. What about for a country who's not part of those 34 nations or is not part of the NATO command structure who's saying, we want to be part of FMN, is the buy-in to get into FMN, you need to meet those spirals or would the F... How does that work with a new member entering in uh, late to is, the game? That's quite some discussion at the moment still because okay. uh, um, the military committee is governing mm-hmm. and, and they take the decision whether or not a non-NATO nation will be allowed to be affiliated. Okay. So also the aff- affiliation process is part of study nowadays and part of negotiation within NATO. But if you technically and operational scene, if you adhere to the standards which were established within a certain spiral, right. you, you could join. So theoretically, you could be monitoring what's going on from the outside, implementing the yeah. spirals and join late yeah. in the game. Okay. Yeah. If, if the political uh, acceptance is there from all the other, at least from NATO, because NATO has a, a last say whether or not they will allow an affiliate to join. So you mentioned military committee. Yeah. You've mentioned NATO. Since this isn't being led by any one nation, since it's not being led by NATO, how does NATO fit into this as a, not the leader, but... Yeah, the, um, NATO has a, a trifold role. It is an affiliate itself. Right. So with its NATO command structure, as you mentioned before, with the NATO mm-hmm. command structure, with the, the big uh, exercises, they have to be on a certain uh, standard, NATO itself. Uh, NATO is often used as a kind of uh, network enabler mm-hmm. because uh, you can have, as I said, different ambitions in Evermen. Right. But you know, if you establish a multinational network, there should always be a kind of 
network control, net network services have to be executed. Mm -hmm. And most times they are quite uh, time and people consuming. Uh, so at the moment, in many cases, in many instantiations, which means starting up the network, right. NATO is in the lead and also it facilitates it. And in the end, it's also about organizing the whole Everman structure, all the organizations, as I said, from uh, starting uh, what are the operational requirements until uh, the testing is often facilitated by, uh, by NATO. So it has a trifold uh, role in the whole Everman uh, program. And one thing you should be aware of is mm -hmm. that what I said, that if a nation agrees on a certain standard within a certain spiral, it still doesn't say that all the troops, all the forces, all the units of that specific nation are all on that Everman standard. So essentially, there's the opportunity for a member nation or yeah. a member affili mm -hmm. affiliate to have a, a FMN compliant fleet or an FMN compliant brigade, Air Force, to have one unit dedicated mm -hmm. to be the interoperable. It's not a, the U.S. has to have every single unit FMN compliant. Yeah. And, and often it's re uh, related to the big NATO exercises in which NATO nations want to contribute. So the national contributions are often up on that specific spiral. Some nations, though, have a different approach. Mm -hmm. For example, Finland, they decided to be on spiral one, and they also decided to be on the next spiral, on spiral two, okay. which takes them quite some efforts, but also we, they evidenced during meetings that that brought quite some benefits for their own forces, for fire support and so on. Does this have any... As you're talking about this, it can be yeah. individuals, not the entire force. Does this have a direct impact on the rapid response forces? Are, are those all being made to be FMN compliant, or are those as NATO sees fit? Uh, I'm not sure about that, okay. but what, what I know, at least what I think I know, is the enhanced forward presence. Mm -hmm. They're all on a certain spiral uh, from the start. Okay, okay. But, but still they need to be interoperable right. because it's, uh, as we also discussed, it's about processes. Okay. Just uh, accept the Everman processes doesn't mean that you have all the same uh, right. battle procedures on the lower levels. And that is one of the things which might be an issue. So from talking more about pro processes, mm -hmm. I know specifically there is a tendency to try and figure out what is the best way to do this whenever information mm -hmm. might already be available, mm -hmm. specifically with doctrine, um, with NATO doctrine. Because there's technically no one who's leading this effort, is there a tendency to recreate this or to recreate doctrine or to extract doctrine for use by all FMN affiliates, if that makes any sense? Yeah, yeah, but what happens because you asked where are you participating in? We are participating in the Operational Coordination Working right. Group, which talks about the needs for the operator. And that's split into several main processes, for example, intelligence and uh, GISA, mm -hmm. Joint Intelligence and uh, Surveillance and Reconnaissance. 
It's split into situational awareness. Mm -hmm. It's split into logistics. And what you can see over there is that they try to describe the processes and the processes which have to be partly supported by um, FMN, by, by right. a certain spiral. And they also illustrate where it's supported, where it's not supported, mm -hmm. and which other solutions then you have to find. And you can see that you can use FMN as a kind of testing whether or not your uh, doctrine and uh, tactical procedures correctly describes the whole process. Okay. So you can use it as a kind of verification of existing uh, doctrine. I see. And uh, that's also why there is a related process which is not directly linked to FMN, which is called mission threats, in which they depict the whole process from uh, start start of a requirement until fulfillment of that requirement right. and how that can be best served by certain solutions. And you can also use that for de defining which uh, requirements uh, the network should have in the sense of um, information load and uh, priority of messages. So actually looking at this process of, mm -hmm. of generating these requirements and then making those requirements passing those to the security portion. You may know where I'm going with this, but FMN has a very distinct shape to the way that everything in the spiral mm -hmm. is a requirements generated, validated, and trained and used. Mm -hmm. It's almost a, uh, an upside down triangle approach. Yeah, they call it the V. The, the, yeah, the V, the yeah. V approach. Yeah. So your role in the OC working group is more at the top left, and we'll actually show a graphic up for our users mm -hmm. so they can see this at home, which more deals, like you said, like you described, was uh, generating those requirements. With the spirals, actually, it's a, mm -hmm. an iterative process. Um, what are you taking from the, the training and the actual usage portion to inform future requirements? Yeah, there is, a, um, at the moment, because we're talking about the current right. status, uh, because but we, in a talk, we can talk about yeah. uh, the um, ambitions, mm -hmm. ambitions of the program and where we are, because uh, we have, as a center, been involved really in the start. It started already with AMN, in which right. we found out that some processes were not optimal. So we gave that as a feedback in a reporting, mm -hmm. but also within FMN, because we were in the early days, and especially that OC Working Group didn't get that much attention from the nations. So uh, participation in that operator's requirement was always very thin. Right. So uh, especially in the early days, we had quite some comments on how to translate doctrine, and we had some advice on how to translate it into processes. And I think that is still going on. Uh, we are, uh, the nations are still wrestling with getting the specialists in, right? with the SMEs in, to give feedback on how the process works, should work in real life. Right. But the feedback loop where you're asking for the evaluation in real exercises is rather thin. At the moment, a lot of users, operators, are not... A, even not aware of the improvements FMN has brought to them. So there is also, in, uh, in regard to a communication and uh, awareness strategy, there's quite some work to be done because people are confronted with yeah. improvements, but they don't relate, they relate that 
to federated emission networking. And there is no real evaluation team which looks at where are the benefits of FMN, where they really realize where we started, what you spoke about with, with, the, with the V. Where we started at the V was that right. really uh, brought back into real life. Do you think, though... But there is a task force working on that, trying to use NATO standards, because right. that was one of the issues we, we found out as a center, and we also have pushed on that one, is that they didn't always, were not always aware of, for example, the lessons identified, lessons learned process within NATO. So they tried to invent their own processes. Right. And, and that's one of the good things of, as having, you said, who was who really pushing it. But the nice thing is we have a heritage of 70 years of NATO experience, right. which is laid down in doctrine, but is also laid down in certain procedures. Right. And I think uh, nations can benefit from it in developing FMN by using those NATO standards or NATO ways of doing things. And one of them is about lessons identified, lessons learned, finding out whether or not the things you wanted to achieve are the achieved. Do you, on your, in your own opinion, mm -hmm. do you see a scenario though where, I uh, guess, sorry, you said, do you see a scenario yeah. where NATO potentially, like a return, lack of a better term, carries that flag as the overarching representative for FMN to synchronize a lot of these efforts and to stop the process of recreating things that already exist? Or do you think? this affiliate federated approach can still continue, but just at a, I don't want to say slower pace, but it can still continue. I don't know if NATO really itself feels the urgency to really speed up federated mission networking and to be really the owner of FMN. Okay, but uh, and on the other hand, also in real life, and that's part of the me uh, meetings we are in. Right, uh, a lot of affiliates which are not non-NATO complain about NATO security okay. because they don't have access to the documents they need to be a good f affiliate. So that's still part of ongoing uh, discussions within the so-called management group, in which all the nations e uh, biannual uh, meet to discuss the, the progress and the future of the program, the FMN. Right. No, that, that makes sense. Um, I want to get back to something you previously mentioned, and I think you speak to something that is a, a concern for FMN is that people don't often perceive what's being done in these spirals. Mm -hmm. um, they just don't know. There's possibly just a lack of education yeah. uh, with some of these. Do you think part of that, though, might be with some of the spirals being geared more towards CIS heavy, it laying down the, the base infrastructure to be able to do the uh, more exciting things in spiral three, spiral four, that people just see it as a, well, it's a federated mission network. Mm -hmm. It's a CIS thing. Mm -hmm. uh, why do I care? I'm a, I'm a war fighter. Do you think that might be part of the confusion or is yeah, there something but, else going on there? Yeah, I, I think there are several things going on. Mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the aspects is what you mentioned. The other thing is that what I think is that um, when AMN transferred into FMN, right. the future mission network or whatever, there was an FMN implementation plan and the lead was especially with Allied Command transformation. Right. 
what's in the word. But the nice thing is that um, uh, the tradition of the operator's requirements was never taken by NATO, at least not by ACO. Mm-hmm. And there, uh, what you see is that the technicians, uh, the people ta- uh, taking up the technic- uh, technology requirements, they are especially from ACT. So a- there's still a big portion of ACT which is developing technology. And what I witnessed last year, and it's, uh, fortunately it's improving, Right. The OC working group and the CP working group are working more together and more have more defined roles, despite the fact that the OC working group still is hindered by the fact that not all nations participate and not right. but participate in full and not with the number of people they require. So there is an unbalance over there. So that's one of the reasons why in the past the CP working group did a lot of work which should originate from the OC working group. So right. I think a lot of Developments within FMN were decided upon by technicians and with with good intent, but the voice of the operators was there, there not there, and and still uh, the OC working group lacks the voice of operators. So, so, but it's also with terminology what you started with as well. Right. FMN is. Not a sexy term. All the, no. <laughs> all, all, all the all the words used in Everman program with spirals, as as you mentioned right. yourself, <laughs> that doesn't help because a, a, a commander wants information. He wants right. situational awareness. He wants a nice common operational picture, and we should talk in that language. Yes, he, he should t- have the information which is available with all the uh, allies, with all the affiliates. He should that have available. And distributed in a, without uh, taking care of what technology is needed. Yeah. But he should be sh- uh, sure that his uh, commanders know his intent because it's forwarded to them automatically. Right. That they have an actual oversight of what's happening in uh, the battle space. I think if we talk in those terms, that Everman will contribute to that one. That is needed to convince those warriors. On the other hand, warriors don't have time to be busy with projects. They have right. to fight. Exactly. So, and they want to be helped, but they are. But that, on the other hand, that doesn't help the solution. The solution is just helped by defining their requirements, and they're not in the OC working group. And so, somebody who's has a very basic experience with the FMN inner workings and mm-hmm. how these requirements are generated, and more specifically, how the OC working group functions. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what you said is something I noticed as a first-time observer. I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not total nonsense. This is not total (laughs) nonsense. (laughs) But just to to kind of extract a bit bit more of what makes someone successful in this space, because I think as much as it is evident what um, hinders the process of Mm -hmm. making FMN the thing that it should be, which is, wow, as an operational warfare commander, I have all of this at my disposal mm-hmm. to be able to execute my mission. Without naming names, without naming a specific mm-hmm. country, what, what are the characteristics that, would, that make countries successful with this initiative that you've, that you've observed, mm-hmm. again, without naming names, but just, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, involvement and building upon that, if you could. Yeah, well, one one of the things I think nations 
should do, right. and some, some of them have done, is copy the structure within their own national structure. Okay. So they have um, the same process working at home, which is there within FMN. So when they have to feed the, the FMN working groups, there will always be national representation, which also re represents all the services. Mm -hmm. Because we also have to break through the walls between the services. That's something we also have to find out because also a lot of systems within the services are stovepipe. Also a lot of procedures dealing with targeting or whatever are still within the stovepipes. Is FMN currently not suffering, but is FMN currently trying to get around the issue that it is geared towards one service or it's geared towards a few services and isn't exactly as joint as it needs to be right now? Um, I think we have to deal with our kind of heritage from the past. Okay. In which uh, navies, air forces within NATO, but also outside NATO, mm -hmm. were always more linked, connected. Right. Uh, used the same language. Didn't use the national language, but used some form of English as I use. <laughs> but at least they could speak to each other. Right. Had their own terms which were based in NATO doctrine right. and, and, and use those standards. I think uh, land forces, they really suffer. And what you see at the moment is that they try to reverse that and that they ask a lot of information for the individual soldiers that he should be well informed taking his decisions. And I think there are also technically quite some issues with the land forces. So I think there is an unbalance at, in the moment in that program, because uh, there was also a thought, and that's something we addressed as a center of excellence already in the first meetings we had in the early days, is that FMN is just about the operational or the high tactical level. It was always stated that it's on all levels. Right. But uh, if you talk about processes, processes start at, at, with the individual soldier, and in the end, they also end with the individual soldier. So. Right. If you talk about information streams, uh, we should cover it all. So, I mean, that's a really critical area mm -hmm. in dealing with these and jointness and multi-domain operations. Does FMN have the ability, does it have the appetite to expand beyond the military sphere to be something that works in tandem with NGOs or civilian organizations? Or right now, is it focused on, like you said, the soldier and no, the... it, 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 it has been from the early days on already there has been the connection to the civilian world civil military inter, uh, information exchange has always been part of fmn mm -hmm. but it's also and there have been reports by uh, the mcdc which is a, a multinational uh, coalition of uh, nations which want to develop procedures right. within a very short time frame. They developed nice reports about how to implement civilian uh, military information exchange within, uh, within FMN. Mm -hmm. Also, our center here, in already dating back from 2012, uh, focused on information exchange between an uh, um, environment which was purely military and then opening it up for civilian information. But then again, you're talking about security, but it, uh, as they call CMIS, CMIS mm -hmm. has always been part of FMN. But 
it still has not been implemented into the solutions within the spirals. But it's a, but it's a operational requirement and also defined as such. So it's, it's, it's in scope, but we still have to find the technical and also the security solutions towards it. But the intent, the operator, operator's requirement to be able to share information with the civilian world out there, which are operating in the same environment, is there. So it sounds like, at least for this one specific um, case, mm -hmm. it, it's still very much, like you said, the, the appetite is there. It's just, it's still very much in its infancy in terms of finding the right organizations to help carry it forward. Is, am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, but the, but the requirement has been defined. Okay. And already our Center of Excellence in 2017 had a seminar which was partly dedicated to this topic and in which people from uh, the MCDC presented their solutions. So the solutions are there, but it's about uh, the willingness to implement. Okay. But again, implementing FMN means uh, money. And one of the issues with money is that uh, budget, budgets don't follow FMN. Because normally, and that's within NATO, but also within nations, uh, budgets and, uh, are long-term issues. And within FMN, you have to renew, refresh, uh, delete parts of the solution every three, four years. Because there will be a new spiral. And it might be that one of the solutions which you were just funded for yeah. might be obsolete. Or you need another solution to fulfill the requirements. Just to pick that a bit more, I, for our viewers at home who are hearing terms like spirals and this validation mm -hmm. process, what is actually the time frame for spiral requirement definition? So the, yeah, I guess setting the requirements to the actual implementation. How long? Yeah, how it's long about three to four years. Okay. And are these just occurring? You've completed spiral one, now spiral two or spiral two being set while we're in the process of yeah because um the, there is a, a certain period you will use the solutions from a spiral mm -hmm. but in the main meantime you're already developing the next one and the requirement and defining the requirements for the third one okay so it's an ongoing process so that makes it also not always easy for people from the outside to follow what's really happening or they might even be disappointed about the solution they have today, but not being aware that everybody is working on uh, the solution for uh, the future. Right. It is a very complex system to to lay out for people, but I guess in a basic way, I, I we've talked a lot about the OC working group. Mm. We've mentioned you've mentioned others like the CP working group. The list goes on and on for working groups. What really is the hierarchy of, because it's not the OC working group who's actually agreeing to everything. What are those other le levels of FMN so that our viewers at home can kind of understand who all is uh, playing into this decision-making, the national level? Because I know there's the secretariat, mm -hmm. the management group, but can you briefly talk to what, what each layer is contributing towards this? Yeah, the, the, the working groups, which are in fact all national contributions, right. are often led by people who are a liaison towards the, the program. Mm -hmm. 
and people of the secretariat, which is what, what it says, following, uh, tracking what's happening. And then you have the management group in which the nations are represented. And the nations, they have to agree upon the roadmaps uh, which are developed by all those working groups. So they define a roadmap, which cap capability will come after another. And they have also to agree upon the, the defined uh, specifications. And as I said, it's a biannual meeting by the nations in the management group about uh, what will be the next step in okay. FMN. So there is a roadmap which gives a, a, a direction and it even defines uh, intermediate steps, but still the nations have to agree and also have to define their own national ambition because not everybody has the same role within FMN okay. because some of them are service providers and other ones are able just to connect, to get information, but and others are able to be a node. So there are three different levels of ambition and you and, and even within those levels of ambition, you uh, can decide which solution you will choose and whether you will have all the solutions or the whole package or just part of it. So everything we've just talked about mm -hmm. so far, um, there's a lot that goes into FMN. It's very complex but well-oiled machine that is pr producing great things. Given your own um, interpretation of the ultimate end goals of the FMN group mm -hmm. and where they want to be and where they are now, wh where do you see FMN in reference to that end goal, which, I mean, to me, as, as a newcomer, is you know, day zero interoperability and being able to speak out the same sheet of music. Where do you see the FMN group right now? Yeah, the nice thing is if you have been in the program for quite a while and uh, just being an outsider, right? I hope sometimes helpful. Um, I see progress. I see the, as you say, the machinery itself is working well. Mm -hmm. um, the working groups are finding each other. As I said, the OC working group still needs reinforcement, but I see a better battle rhythm. They are aligning all the time. We discussed about evaluation. It gets quite some attention. So in uh, achieving the goals, I think they're on the way. Mm -hmm. And again, there could be, uh, should be a better effort in uh, selling the products. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it, it's their job. It's our job to uh, um, support the warfighter. And I think it's very difficult being not the warfighter ourselves, not perspiring ourselves. Right. To say, hey, we produce this report, we pr produce uh, this kind of standards. But I think sometimes a little bit better promoting what was achieved, what is achieved, and it's not that easy with so many nations participating, even some of them non-NATO. Mm -hmm. um, I think the benefits uh, should be make, made more clear to the audience. But I think the audience can also be um, assured that the people who are working in the program, and I especially think about the people, uh, the liaison officers, the people working in the secretariat, right. but also quite some uh, national representative, often not NATO, they are really uh, working hard to make it a success. And, and if you see that effort, that makes me 
really confident that there will be a good product. I just hope that the whole program will get time enough to uh, that people get aware of the results because FMN is already uh, quite an improvement relate, uh, if you relate it to AMN. There are more uh, capabilities av made available for the multinational forces. Do you think potentially, I mean, AMN came out, came out of a sense of urgency and, mm -hmm. a, and a necessity. Do you think FMN will still achieve its end goal given that the urgency maybe may not be there as much, just given that it's not tailored to a specific mission, more of a, uh, yeah, but, a but, grandiose but, but, idea. But, but I think the, the operational requirements still relate to the missions which have to be executed okay. by NATO and its allies, be it affiliates or not. And I think the fact that they linked uh, a certain spiral towards the bigger operational level mm -hmm. NATO exercises was a very good step. And I think that also gives the operational urgency to improve. And uh, the only thing is technology proceeds. And there's one of the things I see for the future that uh, where you in civilian life are confronted with very handy apps and so on that we might not have the time to implement the same within FMN and that maybe the warfighter who works at home with uh, a nice laptop and have all the information of the world available to him mm -hmm. might not encounter the same when he uh, dresses up as a military and uh, tries to do the same in the multinational setting. Right. And the, so impatience with our commanders okay. might be an issue. On the other hand, multinationality is always about the weakest link. So we have to take care of nations uh, who cannot afford the, the big solutions so that they still are on a good level of information uh, and can give their contribution to, to the alliance because the alliance is about working together. And right now, just given some of that, the good that's already been done, the, uh, the tangibles, even though they're not quite the sexy, Mm -hmm. uh, things that a commander can immediately see. They have their value. Being able to send an email to a coalition partner is invaluable across multi, multiple security domains. Um, what about the more complex? When you actually get into platforms working with each other, mm -hmm. do you potentially see that being a, a point where we're already juggling something that is complex with 34 nations and the NATO command structure, that even more complexity as it relates to, you know, the F-35, for example, mm -hmm. that that might get in the way of achieving this ultimate vision. Yeah, but even with the F-35, there are quite some issues with how does that information, the, the, the multitude of information which is collected by that platform, and mm -hmm. we have more of those platforms within NATO or at least within the national inventories, right. how that information will be available for uh, the warfighter who needs it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there is quite an issue with all the national programs, but I think uh, nations are aware that they should uh, share information. So having the same standards for information exchange and uh, having the same processes and have a day zero readiness, uh, all the things which uh, FMN promises and already uh, partly provides, I think it's, it's still needed. 
and it will contribute because nations are on a certain standard with a part of their forces. Mm -hmm. What might help is that nations agree upon having all the forces and it also will benefit their own forces on a certain standard. Because as as we said, it's also uh, between the services that you need information exchange, also for national operations. And I think uh, one of the things, the good things about FMN is that it uh, forces you to look at your own uh, processes. Yeah, that inward reflection will produce outward results. And and the nice thing is that also, if you look at what you mentioned before in the roadmap, Mm -hmm. if you look in the the end states, and then then you're talking about spirals for many years to come, uh, there are a lot of things mentioned over there which uh, talk about uh, artificial intelligence, Mm -hmm. uh, about uh, creating uh, actual... um, oversights on what's happening in the whole battle space. So I think the promises and the requirements are already there. It's up to the nations to to build it and especially also to fund it. So there is entire time. You've talked. Yeah, a lot. (laughs) It's been a wealth of knowledge and you yourself are one piece of the machine that is FMN and the effort that is mm-hmm. FMN. And, you know, as a COE, that, that is a very special position within that is you're mm-hmm. a non-voting member, observer who contributes expertise, knowledge. They tolerate me. <laughs> I'm sure some of our listeners who know you do not tolerate. <laughs> but given all that and your, your, mm-hmm. your experience within the community, what are some of the things that give you hope for, hope for this initiative yeah. and just observing this? Yeah, the, the nice thing is that the people, and uh, of course I can talk especially about the people in the OC working group, but it also uh, appeals mm-hmm. to other working group and uh, members I met. Mm-hmm. They are all really committed. And well, the enthusiasm, the f- despite the fact that they have to convince others all the times again, mm to produce and to cooperate, to come from the nations, um, all the enthusiasm they have and all the efforts they put into the program. Uh, I'm still very enthusiastic about those people. And if the Secretariat and the nations succeed in finding these fine uh, fine people, Mm -hmm. then the program will proceed. Because as we said, command and control, it's about people. Yeah. And I think they found very nice people people in uh, the program. Very enthusiastic. And I don't know, it might be because of the program itself. Maybe it's because of Everman itself, because the it's such a good idea and it should be there today. So I think the people who are in the program and working with it every day, they really feel that. And it's a pity that the warfighter is not one of them yet. But that's my hope for the future that the warfighter really identified how much he improved from, the, from when he started in 2007, 2008 in Afghanistan, not able to have the 9-liner available or the 12-liner or whatever. Yeah. But that, now that is, there is a standard. And if somebody is wounded, it doesn't matter which ambulance or which helicopter shows up, but the process is assured. And there will be somebody listening in, in the network. And might it be of a nation he had never thought of, but 
the wounded soldier will be brought to hospital in time. Well, Frank, I think you've said it all. Um, I first want to thank you for joining us today, uh, for imparting your wealth of knowledge on the audience, because like you've spoken to, FMN is a greatly important program, not just to NATO, but to the world at large. And it often goes overlooked just because it deals in complexity and it deals with very, very, very um, in-depth processes. But to have someone of your knowledge and your experience within the program is a great asset to all of us. So again, thank you very much. And for our listeners out there, to find more information related to C2 and FMN, you can go to the c2coe.org website, or you can reference our show notes for further information. Thank you.